Okay, renal functions, four of them. First one is to cleanse extracellular fluid. It does that by cleansing which particular fluid? Blood. Remember, what's the only difference between blood and interstitial fluid? Plasma Plasma protein. It's going to maintain acid-base balance. How is it going to do that? Two A's. You actually know them. (coughs) So, acid-base. What are the components of an arterial blood gas? So, pH, bicarbonate, PaCO2, and PaO2. Which of those is going to be controlled by the kidney? Bicarb. So, not only does the kidney produce bicarb, it also determines how much bicarb will get excreted into the urine or retained. It will also exchange hydrogen for, hydrogen ions for, potassium. So it's called the the hydronium potassium pump or the hydrogen potassium pump. It's used to create acid or in the case of the kidneys to get rid of acid or to hold on to more hydrogen. Excretion of metabolic wastes. This is what we usually think of. This is when you make pee. Maintenance of blood volume. It's ultimately your kidneys are in charge of how much blood volume you have in your body. The more volume, the more pressure. pressure. The less volume, the less pressure. All right, so here is a sketch of the nephron. Some important things to note. Um, You have have an artery coming in, and then what's this called in the middle here? The glomerulus. Now, what comes out of it? An efferent what? Arterial. So coming in, you have an artery. Going out, you have an artery, which means that this glomerulus must be made up of arteries. There's no capillary bed in the glomerulus. It's artery all the way through here, which is important for later. Remember that fact. Artery all the way through. Now, surrounding the arteries, the glomerulus, we have the Bowman's capsule. And then we have this proximal convoluted tubule. Now, in your sketches, you didn't have this next little part. What is it? It's a network of capillaries. So what's going to happen, the way your body works in this nephron, is it's going to filter everything out except for two things. What are those two things? Protein and cells. And cell fragments like platelets. So, Everything else that's in plasma, all the electrolytes, no matter what it is, glucose, sodium, calcium, magnesium, potassium, phosphate, creatinine, you name it, it's in this tube. The only thing that is not in that tube is protein and cells, unless there's been damage. So the way your nephron works is it's going to filter everything, And then, as it travels down this convoluted tubule, the loop of Henle, and back up, it's going to to begin to reabsorb stuff back in. At the same time, 
in addition to absorbing, it can also put stuff back into the tubule. What's that called? Tubular secretion. So when we take stuff out of the tube and put it back in blood, we call that reabsorption. When we put stuff into it, we call that secretion. All right, so it's going to go through the proximal tubule, down the loop of Henle, back up through the distal, and then it's going to end up in our collecting duct. Blah, blah, blah. And this is what we just talked about. Now, um, some things to think about. Reabsorption, or sorry, filtration is passive. Reabsorption is active. And remember, water wants to follow solute. So what's the major thing we're going to reabsorb? Sodium. Yes, ma'am. Um, it, there's no, there's no transport mechanism involved. It's just, you squeeze everything through, through it and it just kind of comes out the other side. So it's driven only by the pressure of the blood. It's not driven by, by little enzymes or carrier molecules. Now tubular secretion is active, which means you have to have, what's this word? Pumps. And the major thing that we're going to secrete is either acid or potassium. Hydrogen. When I say acid, I mean hydrogen ions. All right. Um, now, reabsorption. On that little sketch of the nephron, you might want to put 65% NaCl. So how much sodium do we filter out? All of it. As much as, as much as filters out, everything. What gets pulled back in, in the proximal convoluted tubule? About 65%. And virtually all bicarbonate and potassium. Ordinarily, under normal circumstances, you're going to pull back in how much bicarbonate and potassium? Pretty much 100%. 99.9% of it comes back in. Where? Proximal convoluted tubule. In the loop of Henle, about 20% of NaCl is reabsorbed. And then there's a special little thing about the loop of Henle. The descending is permeable to water. The ascending is not. Now, which side is on the far end, the ascending or the descending? The ascending. So what that means is on the descending, water can be pulled out. But once you get to the ascending, guess what? Whatever water is in there is in there for a while until we get to the collecting duct. Now, where does ADH act? In the collecting duct. Now, in the distal, which is the distal convoluted tubule, you only have 10% of NaCl being reabsorbed. Um, now, in the late distal convoluted tubule and the collecting duct, we're going to get sodium-potassium exchange. This is your body's chance for like final tweaks right before it's going to go out into the calyx of the kidney and be turned into urine that's going to go down to your bladder. Right before that, we get to do a last little tweak. And what we're going to have is sodium-potassium pumps. The number of sodium-potassium pumps you have is determined by what hormone? 
aldosterone. So what's it gonna, what's, what are we going to do? If you have aldosterone, are you going to have more pumps or fewer pumps? More pumps. The more pumps you have, the more sodium you retain and the more potassium, potassium you lose. So with aldosterone, you're going to do what to sodium? Hold on to sodium and release potassium. The final concentration of urine is determined by ADH in the collecting duct. Yes? I thought aldosterone worked on the prostate. Possible, but it's really more toward the end. Yeah. Because in the first part, you're always absorbing. Where you, want, where you tweak it is at the end of the process. All right, so are we all clear? Your body pushes out what? Everything. Then it's going to pull back in most of the sodium. Now, if you add up these numbers that we had on this last page, 65, 20, and 10, we get about 95%. 95% of your sodium is going to be reabsorbed unless you do something about that with aldosterone or with AMP. All right, now, as far as determining renal function, some of the things that we're going to use, BUN, blood urea nitrogen, normal value is about 10 to 20. Creatinine, what is creatinine, by the way? Okay, it is a protein. No, it's not a protein. <laughs> not when they're broken down, but it's by muscle use. So, how many of you know someone taking creatine? Now, creatine is absorbed by the muscles and is the first source of ATP energy. So, as it's used, it gets broken down into creatinine, and then excreted in the kidneys. Now, it's pretty much a constant rate, so it doesn't matter whether you've been using your muscles a lot or a little bit, you're going to have the same amount of production. The only thing that will change is production is growing more muscle or if muscle atrophies. Now, in elderly folks, what happens to their muscles? They atrophy. What else happens to their kidney function? It goes down. The problem we have in elderly people is the creatinine levels and, or the muscle levels and the kidney function go down at the same time. So what happens to their creatinine level in the blood? Stays the same. So in elderly people, you cannot use creatinine as a, as a good function, a good, a good indicator of renal function. So if a patient has 1.4, it's only slightly high, right? But if it's an elderly patient, that might be equivalent to a 3 or a 4 in a regular patient because kidney function and creatinine production are going down at the same time. So in a patient who's elderly, what do we use instead? Creatinine clearance, which can be done by either collecting what we call 24-hour urine. Have you talked about that in, uh, yeah. in fundamentals? How do you collect one? Okay, so you have them pee, and you don't collect that one. Then you collect all of, the, all of the voids for the next 24 hours, and you keep that on ice. 
Um, another way to do it is to do what's called an estimated creatinine clearance or an estimated glomerular function rate. So it's just a formula that gets plugged into a calculate to a formula. You can, you know, some PDAs, you can get a program to do it on your calculator. Or, you know, don't worry about it. You're not necessarily responsible for calculating it. What you are responsible for knowing is that creatinine by itself in an elderly patient is not a good indicator. Yes, ma'am. I'm just, yeah, what I'm saying is that you just can't trust the creatinine level in an elderly patient. No, no. What I'm saying is you could have a normal or very, or slightly high, but really have quite impaired kidney function. And you can't tell by the creatinine level. Okay. Um, all right. Now, there's a variety of urinalysis tests that we can do. First one is we can take the pH of urine. Now, what is urine? Is it ordinarily acidic or basic? Acidic. So it's usually acidic. Look up in your book what the normal range is. Specific gravity. What is specific gravity? It's a measurement of concentration. Presence of proteins. Should protein normally be in urine? No. If there is, it's a sign that there's been damage to that arterial in the glomerulus. Should there normally be blood? No. no. Should there normally be urobilinogen? No. Sure. It's a breakdown product of blood. Should there normally be leukocytes in your urine? No. Should there normally be bacteria? No. Should there normally be glucose? No. Should there normally be ketones? No. So what would it mean if we had leukocytes in the, in the urine? UTI. What if there's bacteria? UTI or colonization or contaminated uh, sample. Glucose. Diabetes. Ketoacidosis or Atkins diet. Atkins diet. If they're doing it well. You can also look at it under a microscope for different things as well. All right, what we're going to talk about now is we're going to talk about diuretics. Diuretics are drugs that make you pee. Now, most diuretics are going to work by inhibiting the reabsorption of sodium. The earlier in the kidney, the stronger they work. Remember how the, that graph went? How much was absorbed in the proximal? 65. How much in the loop? 20. How much in the distal? 10. So the earlier you work, the more you have the potential to prevent reabsorption. Now, we have nothing that works in the proximal convoluted tubule. We only have stuff that works in the distal and the loop. All right, fun with math. Now, you don't have to know this math. This, this will not be on your test. But it's just for you to understand what we're talking about. On an average day, Kara filters 180 liters of filtrate in her kidney. So she produces 180 liters of filtrate. Now, how much blood does Kara have in her body? Eh, somewhere between four and five liters. So we're talking 180 divided by five. About 30 times the number of blood she's got. 
Now, if we block 1% of that sodium chloride that would normally be reabsorbed, she would produce 1.8 liters of urine. It's a lot of urine, isn't it? If we blockade 3% of the sodium chloride, we're going to produce about 5.4 liters of urine. Now, is there that much water in Kara's body? Yes. But what's her normal blood volume? About four to five liters. So you've depleted more than her blood volume. Where is she going to get that extra fluid from? Cells. Now, Kelly, on the other hand, has heart failure. What does she have? What does she have? She's got extra fluid. So when we give her 5.4 liters of urine, now she's back down to normal. By the way, 5.4 liters of urine, how many kilograms is that? How many kilograms is 5.4 liters? Come on, you can do it. How much does one liter weigh? I find your lack of faith disturbing. One kilogram equals one liter. Therefore, one liter equals one kilogram. That works for water only. But what is this product? Urine. Well, urine is primarily water. So that's 5.4 liters of urine. How do we convert that to pounds? Multiply by 2.2. 12 pounds. Now, Now, can a heart failure patient do this in a day, no problem? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Some of your patients will come into the hospital and they will weigh 20 pounds more than usual. Guess what you're going to do to them over the course of two to three days? You're going to make them pee out most of that urine. Not urine, but most of that wa extra water will be peed out. But in a normal person like Kara, we killed her by accident. I'm <laughs> sorry. Yes. We're, we're preventing this percent of sodium from coming back in normally, from reabsorbing. All right. Now, what do you think the number one side effect of diuretics is going to be, given those numbers? Hypovolemia, which leads to? Before we get down there, say again? Low blood pressure. Now, how does your body respond to low blood pressure? Increase your heart rate. We call that... Re, re, reflex tachycardia. So, hypovolemia and reflex tachycardia, which can be dangerous to a person's heart. And if you drop the blood pressure too low, well, that's just bad for the whole body. So, be very careful with your patients who are on diuretics. Monitor their blood pressure and heart rate. Okay, um, acid-base balance. You can also affect their acid-base balance. But more importantly, you can affect electrolytes. What are we losing with most of those diuretics? Sodium. And I'm going to tell you that we're also going to lose potassium. So patients need to be monitored for 
sodium and potassium loss. Which is more important? Potassium. potassium. Why potassium? Because the margin of error is much less. 3.5 to 5 versus 135 to 145. Um, now, ways that we can avoid causing too much problems. If we use short-acting diuretics, if we over-diurese them, guess what? It's going to be temporary, and then we can put it back in. So we typically don't want to use super long acting. We want it to act over a fairly short amount of time. The other thing we can do is we can use timing. So we can hold the dose. Now, what do you think is going to happen if we give this patient a diuretic? They're going to pee. Now, how many of your patients, because you're in the nursing home right now, how many of your patients do you want trying to get up to go to the bathroom to pee? In the dark. So when do we want to give these medications? In the, in the morning. And never give them, if possible, after 4 o'clock, unless the patient has a Foley catheter. What's a Foley catheter? Because we haven't done those in lab yet. It's a tube that goes up the urethra and stays there. That way, when the patient has to go pee, it just drains out. So... Remember this, timing is important except for what patients? Foley catheter patients. 